I grow up, I want to be an engineer. When I grow up, I want to be an author. When I grow up, I want to be a fine art thief. When I grow up, I want to be a rock star. When I grow up, I want to be a baseball player. When I grow up, I want to be a rock star. When I grow up, I want to be a rock star. When I grow up, I want to be a rock star. When I grow up, Welcome to My Dilettante Life, where we hear from people who have cool or unusual jobs about their professional lives. I'm podcast host and resident dilettante, Hannah Binder. Welcome to the season finale of My Dilettante Life. I'll be back in September, but in the meantime, I hope you're enjoying the show so far, and I'm excited to bring you more fascinating guests talking about their unusual or glamorous careers. So... Thank you uh, for joining me. Welcome to My Dilettante Life. I am Hannah Binder, your host, and today we are talking with Mike Natras, is it? That is correct. All right. So we're going to be talking today about your experience in uh, the trucking industry. It sounds like you've had kind of a broad and long variety of experiences in that industry. Uh, Just to get started, can you tell me about your background, how you got into the field? Well, uh, let's see. I'm 45 now. So when I was about like right after I turned 20 years old, I became a tow truck driver and being a tow truck driver is not the same as trucking, but at the same time, it's behind the wheel experience. I have to share the road with other people. So I've been driving a tow truck for about 15 years and a few other odd jobs in, you know, in between that and my current job now. But what happened was, is I ended up where to get to where I'm at now, uh, a little over 10 years ago, I was working for a, uh, a distributor and they had equipment. I, I let, I had my CDL once when I was working as a tow truck driver, I let that lapse because it wasn't needed for what I was doing in that industry for a while. But then working for the distributor, I uh, said, Hey, you know, I've had a CDL before. I'd like to be able to get it again and actually be a driver instead of working in the warehouse. And they go, Hey, if you could pass the test, we can give you a route. So I went and took the test and passed it immediately. And, and literally two days later, after I passed the test, they gave me a route. And just had it graduated up from there. And then, you know, a couple of over the road jobs. And for what I'm doing now, I go, I go from uh, Reno to Oakland and back every day hauling shipping containers as I stay in my truck in Oakland during the week. Now, um, first question for you about that, a CDL, so commercial driver's license, how hard is it to get that? You know, that's actually a great question. Um, it is for the most part, I think nowadays it, it more or less requires to go to a truck school and, and, and during a truck school, and usually it's the easiest way to go about it because then you use somebody else's equipment, you can use subsidization to be able to help pay for truck school if you can't pay it for yourself and they help you with job placement. But with the truck school and, uh, and getting and maintaining or acquiring a CDL, a commercial driver's license, there's, uh, there's four parts to actually taking the test. You have to take the written test, of course, just like you have to do any other driver's license. But then instead of just a normal driving test that you would be able to take in your personal car, first you have to be able to do a pre-trip and know the equipment that you're using uh, in, you know, all the way from bumper to bumper, really. From If, you're, if it's a truck and trailer, then you, you have to know how to hook up a, a semi-combo and stuff like that. You have to go through all the engine components that's necessary to be able to see more or less. You have to visually look, see and touch and explain what it is and what it does and part of your pre-trip test. And it's actually something you should be doing every day. Uh, so that way, because you're responsible for that vehicle once you get on the road. Then after you after you go through that round, you have to do a skills test. It's, it's, not, just a ma- it's not just a matter of driving out on the road and being able to maneuver around everybody else. You have to prove that you can maneuver your truck 
to do docking maneuvers, had to be able to get on like a blind alley, you know, oversteer and stuff like that. So you have to go through more or less an obstacle course uh, and learn how to, uh, I'm sorry, and be able to pass that test. Then you can do the road test. Now, when you've done finally, when you've done all four of those things and pass all that, then you uh, acquired your CDL. Wow. So I have to confess, when I was younger, I actually thought about wanting to become like a long haul truck driver because the idea of just like crisscrossing, you know, kind of the middle part of the U.S. growing up in New Mexico and driving on a lot of those really long open highways, driving that in a big rig seemed really exciting and romantic. But then someone told me, yeah, you also have to know everything about your engine block because you can't just take it to, you know, any small town mechanic. If something goes wrong, you have to be able to maneuver it down city streets when you're dropping off your cargo. And all of a sudden I was like, to reconsider that i don't know if i'm ready to take on all of that so it sounds like when you're getting the cdl you really have to show you can cover all of those aspects and not just kind of the the long you know open road stretches that i think i was thinking of as a kid well yeah and, it, and it's definitely that is probably one of the glorified things about truck driving is like when you're driving forward and you can see all this open country and and a lot of times that's probably the most boring part of the job but at the same time, yeah, you do have to show that you can maneuver your truck because you I mean, when you're in a commercial vehicle, you're responsible for every aspect of that vehicle uh, while you're the operator. Uh, if there's if there's a failure on that vehicle and it causes an accident, you as that CDL driver and that holder, whether you own the equipment or not, uh, you actually decided if, if you didn't know that it had a problem and you, you signed off that it was bad or that it was good, you know, and, but you knew that it had a bad part, you, you are still responsible for that truck. You're responsible for what it does. And you, you have to take that responsibility. So it, it comes very seriously about, you know, learning how to do a proper pre-trip. Know, know if you've got a leak somewhere, uh, lug nuts, a crack in the wheel or anything else like that. Sometimes if people take for granted in a, in a personal car, but in a truck, you know, a department of transportation does not take that very lightly if something like that fails. Sure, sure. And the consequences can be pretty major. So I'm glad to know that uh, not only you sound like a conscientious guy, but also just that, um, you know, it's kind of built into getting and maintaining your CDL that that folks do have to know all that stuff. Because, you know, just thinking about your average car driver, they probably leave a lot of that stuff kind of to their mechanics to, to deal with, if anything. Right. Well, and the other thing is, in order to be able to get a CDL, you actually have to pass a physical. You have to go see a physician that, that's, that's certified, a DOT certified, and you have to be able to pass certain things uh, for your physical, you know, make sure that you're, you don't have high blood pressure. You know, uh, if, if you have diabetes, that it's very well under control. Uh, and if you do have blood pressure, that you have medication that it's able to control. And you have to be, I wouldn't say you have to be a healthy person, but you have to be healthy enough that you shouldn't be having a problem while you're in the truck you know, per se, like, because, of, you know, just recently, a friend of mine is actually now having heart issues. And his physician told him, he's no longer able to drive a truck anymore. And he is now, uh, you know, no longer able to drive in the industry. And it's, and it's kind of a sad move for him. But at the same time, if something were to happen to him while he's on the road, it not only can hurt him, but can hurt other people out there on the road. So that's another part that you have to be able to have that physical before you can go through all the other stuff and take the, the CDL test. And you have to maintain that every two years. 
I we're definitely already getting into some of my other questions because I feel like this is um I think breaking down some of the common misconceptions that people probably have about what it means to to be in the trucking industry. What do you find are some of the the misconceptions you hear often or the ideas that people have about truck driving that are maybe not entirely wrong, but maybe not entirely representative of what you found? Well, I, 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 well, you'd have to, when it comes to misconceptions about as truck drivers or just truck driving as an industry, or I, I'm, I'm not sure if I understand your question. I mean, I think both, because, you know, I'm thinking uh, when I think about driving a truck, it would never cross my mind that I would need to go through a physical. When you said it, it made complete sense. Oh, of course you want folks who are driving some pretty major pieces of machinery to, you know, be healthy enough that they're not going to faint or, you know, have some sort of issue in the middle of driving such a large um, vehicle. But like that had never crossed my mind before that truck drivers would need to go through a physical. That's something you think of like army soldiers doing, but not truck drivers necessarily. Yeah. So, I mean, when it comes to like the physicality of doing the job or any kind of misconceptions, I'm not sure what kind of misconceptions there. A lot of times nowadays, it's, it's more of a, I think it's more of a stereotype with people like stereotype drivers or what type of drivers that are out there. And, you know, I'm no different. I'll stereotype, you know, people that are in four wheelers as well as, as, as a truck driver, anybody that's driving around in a four wheeled vehicle, uh, a car or a pickup truck, we call them four wheelers. Cause it's just, it's a size difference. And, and we wear 18 wheels on a normal semi tractor trailer combination. And most people in a car or a pickup truck, four wheelers, but at the same time, going back to misconceptions, I think it's, you know, when it comes to driving personalities or industry, you know, a lot of people get, you know, trucks are out there to cut you off in a car or something like that. You know, when you're driving down the road and like every now and then you see a truck that is trying to go around another truck, or maybe he has to make a maneuver, you know, it, it takes a long time for a truck to be able to get up to speed and it also takes a long time for a truck to stop. You have to figure it here. Um, you, you said you're in Germany. I'm not sure what the weight laws for trucks are there, but it's very similar. And here in, in the United States, uh, the gross vehicle weight standard without any extra permits or anything else like that is 80,000 pounds. At any given time you see a semi on the road, it is 80,000 pounds. And that takes quite a bit to stop when it's fully loaded. And, and also maneuvering takes time to be able to get around things. And I think sometimes if you've, if you've, if you've ever been behind a truck anytime and all of a sudden it's going slower than you and you get frustrated and it's like, oh, you know, sometimes we have the same issue when it comes to people getting frustrated around us or we get frustrated with other cars because, well, now they think that we did it on purpose just to mess with a four-wheeler and then they decide, well, I'm going to, I'm going to slow you down and, and all that just creates chaos. And I, there's been really bad aftermaths after that. And that's the only kind of misconception I can think of right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I will say like, if it's a fight between my four-wheeler, which is going to be tiny no matter what, and your big rig, like, I'm going to lose. So I, I don't typically try to, um, you know, engage in, in duels or something with, uh, with truckers, but I definitely know what you're talking about, where people kind of think that it's done deliberately. Um, it, it often makes me think of, like, um, how difficult it can be for trains to stop, too. I mean, they're, they're also carrying a ton of weight, and people don't realize how much distance it takes, even if they throw on the emergency brake to stop if they hit a cow or something on the tracks. Um, and I can only imagine it's it's similar with what you all are doing. So you must be some of the most patient drivers on earth. Like I can't imagine 
uh, truck drivers being able to, you know, well, not that road rage looks good on anybody, but I can't imagine that you all have the luxury of, of having the same level of road rage that some kind of, you know, typical commuters might experience. Well, candidly, the good thing is, is that uh, a lot of times you can't hear what goes on in our trucks. We can't hear what goes on your four wheelers either. But <laughs> I mean, the things we say about other people who uh, have really horrible driving styles, um, we do have, you know, I call it road Tourette's. I, I have a bit of road rage when it comes to really stupid things happening on the road. But at the same time, you like in your car, like they teach you in a, in a car or that when you take your driver's test or your written test that you have to drive, quote unquote, defensively. OK, but you have to take that to a whole complete another level when you drive a semi because of how much time you have to consider it takes to stop the less maneuverability and being just being larger on the road that takes up so much more room that it, you you are not left with the maneuverability of a motorcycle or a four-wheel car. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Uh, what would you, I mean, if you don't mind giving us kind of a peek behind the curtain, what are some of the most annoying behaviors that you find from four-wheeler drivers on the road? Well, from my vantage point, being up as high as I am, my biggest pet peeve is actually watching people on their phone while they're driving because distracted Ooh. driving is very, very bad. And yes. in the, in the, and that's probably the biggest thing. And I've seen some pretty bad things that they do to do distracted driving, mm -hmm. but it, it is, it causes so much unsafe stuff. I actually did a PSA for our local radio station about uh, distracted driving. And this is what, what, what happens. Like say, you know, you have a 70 mile an hour speed limit out here on the highway. And mm -hmm. if you look down at your phone for just three seconds, you have now traveled the length of a football field. That is 100 yards, 300 feet. At about 70 miles an hour, you're traveling about 100 feet per second. And mm -hmm. wow. just imagine the kind of damage that you can do to yourself and other people if you are not paying attention to the road. And mm -hmm. that inattentiveness causes them not to see or, you know, when you need to look beyond just your car or, you know, beyond your nose and all of a sudden quick maneuvers are made because they're not paying attention. That is mm -hmm. probably one of the most aggravating things and frustrating things out there on the road. Sure. Yeah. Well, and in the time that you've been driving, have you seen, like, I'm assuming the number of people that are on their phones in particular while driving has increased or has it kind of been about the same during your tenure? Oh, it's far worse now than it was when, you know, when I first started driving as a tow truck driver. Um, mm -hmm. It is, you know, this doesn't, this probably doesn't have anything to do with the industry, but when it comes to people in their phones, they were so engrossed in their own little world when they're in their car that driving is not the first thing that comes naturally inside their car. It is, it is, I don't know if it's like fear of missing out or what it is, but people are so attached to their phones. I can probably count maybe three in every five cars that pass me or have their phone in their hand or on their lap. Oh, wow. Well, and I wonder if they have, if they have it in their lap, are they thinking, okay, no one else can tell that I have my phone here because it's like low enough where they can't see it. But then, like you said, you're high up. So you get a peek at what they're doing, even if they think they're hiding it from everyone else. Yeah. And that, and that's, uh, you know, there's other areas around the country that have partnership with law enforcement that actually looks for that kind of activity. Cause it, it is, it is harder for somebody who sits at the same level to be mm -hmm. able to see 
uh, what levels of distracted driving that they're doing. So in, and I've know it's happened out here in Nevada where I live, where they actually called a badge on board and they will actually look out for drivers cutting off other trucks early, not giving them enough room to stop, uh, distracted driving, uh, and stuff that you wouldn't normally be able to see from a standard vantage point. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, so just in terms of distracted driving, not just, um, looking at, you know, your, your cell phone or something, what other types, I mean, do you see people like changing clothes, making food? <laughs> what, what types of stuff are you how seeing? Gra- how graphic would you like me to tell you? <laughs> I've uh, seen, how about, let's, <laughs> let's start with a family friendly, most interesting, and then we can move on to, you know, to whatever else you find most yeah. Well, as as Shocking. for drivers, I mean, most of the time, not necessarily just cell phones, but, you know, moving around, digging in their car, trying to get something or turning around, trying to tend to somebody in the backseat is one thing. Um, then, you know, sometimes even being on their phones, people watch movies and videos while, while they're driving? driving their car. Absolutely. <laughs> and it's and it's not even and it's not even like they're trying to hide it. And, they, and in some cars, they literally have their phone up on their dash at eye level or near their window to where it, it takes less, you know, time to be able to look away from your phone or at least, but the thing is, is you're looking at the, the, the highway secondly and have the, the electronic device right there in front of your face. And it's, that's pretty bold. And uh-huh. uh, well, I, I've actually just read an article on this not too long ago that actually a truck driver was doing the same thing and took, you know, and kind of boxed out his phone with some cardboard around it. So it, he, it was either hiding his phone and also blocking out the glare. Well, every now and then you have to pull through a, uh, an inspection facility, a scale or anything else like that. And that driver was actually pulled around and into the facility and inspected and was still watching a video <laughs> and they ticketed him for it. Of course, a bunch of other violations into his truck as well. And, uh, and it was the story that I read was actually, I think it was on Facebook. It was actually the inspection inspection facility that, that did the story on it. They, they reported it, they put it on Facebook or whatever it was, their story was just to show this actually happens out there. And, and of course, yeah, it's not just four wheelers. There is, there is people out there in the trucking industry that have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and it sounds like he had a pretty nice system rigged up. So I'm sure it wasn't the first, you know, he hadn't just been doing it for a little bit of time. He must have been, you know, had developed his his whole system that would work for him. So, all right. None, none of us are perfect, but maybe we all need to focus a little bit more on the road in front of us and a little bit less on the most recent episode of our favorite show or whatever it is. We yeah, well, watching. myself included. I've I've actually had, I've, I've opened up my phone or something else like that to take a look at a picture or something like that when I'm driving. But you know, everybody has a phone like within touching distance. It's technically hands-free. I'm not sitting there trying to watch a video or, you know, do stuff, but every now and then, you know, I got to click on my phone, take a call. Anyway, I'd I'd take a call, you know, maybe read a text or have my my system read a text because I will go with technology and I will let my phone either read a text and I would use voice to text. So that way it, it doesn't cause me to actually pick up my phone and text with it. But the other thing is, is, you know, and it's still just as distracting as, as doing something in order for you to do voice to text, you more or less still have to read it in order before you send it. But I, you know, I, I do my best to uh, minimize the amount of distraction that my phone would take. But yes, I mean, for most people, people have their GPSs, their phones, their, their other stuff within arm's reach. That way they can make, you know, dealing with their phone, very similar to like changing the station on your stereo. 
Which even that sometimes I find it's amazing how much that can draw my attention from the road. I will say radio here in Germany is not great. Most of the stations don't play a good mix of songs. So I'm constantly like, you know, scrolling through the radio stations, trying to find an actual song that I want to listen to. And even that sometimes, um, you know, like you're talking about driving a football field distance, I'll notice I've gone a little ways and I'm sitting there. I try not to look away from the road to punch in the buttons, but that's not always possible. And sometimes it's like, oh, wow, my attention really is not on the road right now, primarily. It's on finding a song that I like and I need to stop doing that. <laughs> yeah, fatigue can do that to you as well. Um, the, you know, as you you drive long distances or even like, have you ever driven um, even either, either across town or to another town and then because driving because some becomes such, such second nature that you don't remember what you did five minutes ago while you were driving. Oh yeah. Yes. So that, that comes with uh, being complacent in your vehicle and a little bit, you know, even fatigue can help cause that as well. Like if you're so tired that maybe you, you don't belong on the road or, you know, you're just really trying to, you know, maximize the, the as much as you can get out of the day and, that can happen. And that that's when driving becomes second nature and not the first thing you should be doing behind the wheel of anything. That's interesting. Um, so, and actually in New Mexico, where I grew up, uh, we definitely, you know, it's like Nevada, a lot of open roads with not a ton of distractions. You're not stopping at lights or making turns. And so uh, people falling asleep at the wheel definitely happens. Uh, I don't know how frequently in relation to other states, but I remember when I was a kid um, and my mom and I had stopped at a Dairy Queen somewhere and we saw a car kind of hugging the shoulder strangely. And when the car rolled by, the woman at the driver's wheel was asleep. And it's sort of like, what do you, what do, you do in that instance? Like if you, if you honk your horn, are they gonna swerve when they wake up? Um, and I thought moving here, cause most of the cars here in contrast to the US are manual, you know, stick shift. And I thought that might kind of keep you involved in driving the car enough where you'd be less likely to do that. But still, I notice on some of these long distances where you're not shifting often, it's easy to kind of get into that um, that second nature, not super focused on the actual driving itself. Yeah, no, that that's definitely possible. And I have actually witnessed somebody who was almost literally asleep at the wheel. I thought the driver was drunk and, the, and then, you know, driving tired, is very similar to driving impaired uh, because you're you're just not in full control of all your faculties. And I called I called in what was I thought was a drunk driver by the way they were weaving back and forth on the road and so forth. And finally, after I, I passed a couple of counties, um, got into another one. I, I called again. I said, hey, look, this driver is still all over the road. I know we passed into another area um, and he's I've caught up with it. He's passed me and I've caught up with him multiple times as he swerved over the road. And then I finally saw him pulled over. And then so I pulled over up ahead where there was room for me to pull over. I flagged down the officer after he let the guy go. And I asked him, I says, man, I thought that guy was just, you know, three sheets to the wind. I thought he was probably had more alcohol in his system than he had blood. And he goes, no, actually, he was very tired and being pulled over, getting out in the cold weather because it was very cold at the time, um, allowed him to, you know, more or less rejuvenate himself. And all he was trying to do is just get to the next town over from where we stopped and he was fine. He was, he just been up all night. Uh, he was uh, just got off work and he was just trying to make, 
you know, a quick run, which is, you know, four hours away from where he was working at thinking that he'd be able to make it. But, you know, when you get comfortable in your car, I guess, as you're driving that long distance, you know, you know, a lot of cars, you have creature comforts, good backrest, good seat rest, heated seats, you know, good sound system, all that kind of stuff that you would almost have at home and it helps you kind of relax. And that's where, you know, fatigue driving and, and tired and, and sleepy driving happens. So how, how do you combat that? If you're, you know, if you're driving, you're spending such a large proportion of your week, um, you, you mentioned like regularly going back and forth between Reno and, and Sacramento or the Bay Area, like how, how do you avoid getting sleepy behind the wheel? Especially because I'm imagining that your cab would probably be set up to be fairly comfortable. Like you're not sitting on a, a bed of nails or something. No, I, no, you're absolutely right. And but to see that comes to another part of the trucking industry where you're only allowed to work and drive in a certain amount of time. So if I start my day at a certain time, I have 14 hours to be able to get in 11 hours of driving and I have to take a break uh, in the middle of that. So I I'm allowed to drive up to eight hours without a 30 minute break. And then once I get there, I actually by, by, uh, by law, I have to take a 30 minute break and then, uh, then I can continue driving for the rest of that, that 11 hour period uh, within that 14 hour day. There's, there's a couple other things that, that, that can happen without a day, the day can be extended or so on and so forth. But, you know, for me, the way I compat a lot of this is, you know, we were talking about my podcast, I'm actually a lot of times I'm either on the radio, uh, on the CB radio, or I'm, I'm having a conference call, or just call, you know, I talking to people on the phone all the time that keeps you engaged with what you're doing. Uh, being able to talk with a hands-free headset allows you to still be able to pay attention to the road and, and have a conversation. It keeps you, uh, keeps your mind active as long as like, you know, keeping your mind active a little bit keeps you from relaxing too much and, and falling asleep in my experience. Uh, that's what works for me. And then at the same time, if you're in a situation where you're too tired, you know, most trucks, especially the ones that we drive, if necessary, in a safe place, you could pull over and then you can, you can jump into your sleeper and, and take a nap, you know, and get, you know, get a little power nap in or get whatever. Uh, so that way you're, you can, you know, sleep off some of that fatigue. So you mentioned, obviously, your podcast, Truckers with Attitude, which everyone should definitely check out, and that you have this conference call that you all do. Does it, because, you know, I'm thinking, okay, if I'm, if I'm talking to someone on the phone, but they're not driving, they might not recognize if I, you know, am not as participatory that maybe I'm in a spot where I need to concentrate a little bit more. And maybe I haven't mentioned that to them in the conversation. Does it, I'm assuming you're often talking them with other folks who are themselves driving. Is that the case? Most of the time? Yes. Um, and you know, a lot of times, you know, cause for the company that I work for and other friends who are truck drivers, you know, like we've got a, a good amount of the day that we're driving a lot of the times we're not driving in the same area to where we could be talking on a CB radio. Um, so, if, you know, technology nowadays allows you to be able to talk on the phone and multiple people at once, you know, a lot of people don't use a CB radio much anymore. And so cell phones are so readily available with, with lots more things able to do. So you can have a conference call with, you know, one, two, three, ten people if necessary. And it gets confusing, but it's been done. <laughs> so you're saying if, if anyone wanted to be a fly on the wall at your truckers conference call, 
um, that they should expect that it might be a little confusing if there are too many too many voices to kind of sort through. Well, yeah, that sometimes happens. I think the other day we had like six people on the conference call and sometimes, you know, you can get two people talking about a subject. And if it's a subject that I'm not familiar with, or sometimes, sometimes I just sit back and let other people talk. And when they get a reach a part, a part in time in their conversation where I might ha have something to add, then I'll add into it. Or if there's a really funny joke or something snide I can say about somebody's comment because there's not too many things that'll get by me. So if it's something sounds like it's gonna be funny and if you said something wrong, like there, there here comes that that's what she said or something like that coming in later, I, I, I'm very quick to get that in there. Me and another friend of mine, that's kind of like, you know, our, our conference calls are based on, or my, my podcast is based on things that happen during our conference calls and other things that we run into uh, as drivers. I, I just have to say, I really love the image of like conference calls in this situation, because I tend to think of people um, like sitting around a boardroom table, all dressed in suits and ties. And so I'm picturing you like driving in your, you know, in your rig, in your cab, dressed in a suit and tie, you know, talking <laughs> about like the investment numbers for quarter two or whatever. But I assume that's not what your conference calls are actually like. No, actually, it's just a bunch of, it's literally a bunch of BS. It's just something to be able to do to pass some time because sometimes when you're left at your own devices and you're by yourself, you 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 have radio, you have stereo, you have like you know Sirius XM or something else like that that you have that to be able to concentrate on. But sometimes that gets rather boring too when you're listening to the same stuff over and over again. You mentioned like it's really hard to be able to find something you like to listen to or a good mix of music while you're driving your car there in Germany. Well, sometimes here in the United States, it's not that much different. So having a, a good conversation with with a friend or we talk about something to happen to another person and and or somebody else happened in their part of the industry or you know whatever it is the cool thing is, is when you have enough people there's always something to talk about and very rarely is a story repeated and sometimes if a story is repeated doesn't make it less funny and doesn't make it less engaging and we still like to be involved i guess well, and I, one thing I did want to ask you, just thinking about this, you know, I, I would think that without something like these conference calls or the CB radio, and without kind of having a community of fellow drivers who you know and share inside jokes with, that it would get pretty lonely otherwise. What what does yeah, that look does. like for you? Yeah. Well, when it, like when I was first driving over the road uh, for one particular company, I didn't even have a pet with me. I was literally by myself. Then there's times where you don't have cell coverage and you're left to your own thoughts. Um, if you are somebody Ooh. who's creative, you know, sometimes you're left to your own thoughts about what's going on in front of you uh, or your, your, your worries about what's going on. Hey, hey I'm, how am I going to get this next run done? Or, you know, I'm, 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 you know, four States away from home and I'm not going to get home for a while. You could stress about that kind of stuff. It could be, you know, if you're left to your own devices, it can be, it can be pretty, pretty weird. And it, it, it can either be good or it could be bad. It, it depends on how you, you think about things on your own. Have you ever done uh, team driving or have you always driven on your own? I've always driven on my own. I have a couple of friends that did team driving. And in some cases, team driving can ruin a relationship, either a friendly relationship or even a husband and wife team could be pretty taxing because you're really not, you know, sometimes you do need that time apart and maybe too much time together is just 
really not good. So I, you really have to be comfortable. And and the other thing is team driving. You have to be, you're dry, you're sleep, you're in a sleeper while somebody else is driving. You have to be able to trust that other person. And if you can't, that becomes very stressful. I can imagine. I mean, last night I drove us home from dinner in my husband's car. It's his first it's not a new car, but it's like his nicest car he's ever had. And he was telling me, he's like, it's really stressful for me to allow even you to drive this car. Cause I like, it's just the nicest thing I've owned. I can't even imagine like, yeah, I don't know that he, how well he could sleep if he knew that I was the one at the wheel. <laughs> well, not to know, say I'm like I, a horrible from... driver, but I'm an average driver. I'm not a fantastic driver. Well, see me, I'm a, I'm a bad passenger. Because I driving is my life and it's been my life for, you know, a good 25 years since I was a tow truck driver up to now I've been behind the wheel of something uh, that has been my livelihood. So yeah, I'm a paranoid passenger. Ah, I'm not the one that's in control. It is, it is hard for me to be comfortable. Now, now I've been married to my wife for 21 years and I'm more than happy to let her drive. Uh, the funny thing is she's now a CDL holder. She drives a school bus now. So, I mean, if, if, uh, the state of Nevada is happy with her moving other people's kids that I don't know around, I'm, I could sleep while my wife is driving, but that's, that comes with time and comfortability with, with your significant other. But at the same time, if I had to sleep while somebody else was, was driving, it's, it would be hard for me. I, I took a red eye flight from, from Nevada to Florida once, and I couldn't sleep because somebody else was in control of the plane. I'm not saying I'm qualified to do a, uh, control a plane, but because there's, I know, I guess my mechanical mind knows that there's so many other moving parts that can happen. I just, I could not bring myself to let somebody else have control. And I, I, I had to watch where I was going and it was difficult for me. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Um, Cause I know a lot of people who have a fear of flying because of that feeling of being out of control but it didn't sound like, it doesn't sound like for you, it's coming from a place of fear, but rather you're just so used to accustomed to being the one in control of the vehicle that it was just a, a different, a weird sensation. Yeah. It's, it's, and I don't know, it's just because it's my personal nature or it's just because I've always been the one in control of the wheel, no matter what I've been driving. Uh, very, very seldomly does my wife drive when we go out of town. Most of the time it's me, you know, uh, it's, and and I think if I were to try to get into team driving now versus like if I were just starting to get into the industry, it would be difficult for me because in order for me to uh, to have another driver drive a truck that I drive and be able to have to sleep at certain times, I have to really trust that person. And there's probably only two or three people in my life right now that I would trust. And one of them's my wife and two of my best friends. And one of them already works for the company I work for. So there's no need to team drive that. And my other, my other partner, he's, he just lives, lives in a different area and he drives it for a different company. But, uh, I would only have to resort to team driving if it was like my last resort and I couldn't find myself another, uh, driving job. Mm -hmm. Now. Okay. So you mentioned sleeping while someone else is, is driving. And I'm wondering with some of the stuff we've been talking about, um, especially when you were talking about, you have, you know, say 14 hours to get 11 hours of driving done is being able to fall asleep quickly. Also a really useful skill when it comes to some of this longer distance driving. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, when I was a tow truck driver, uh, being on call at any given time of the day and over the weekend, 
I've learned to be able to get sleep whenever I can. Uh, so now I, I've learned to, with certain things will help me fall asleep faster. Like one of my biggest things is putting on a movie I've seen hundreds of times, it seems like that way it, it helps my mind just kind of relax. I know what's going on there. I, I will scroll through Facebook or TikTok or something like that as I lay down and all of a sudden I'll start feeling tired by watching the same movie. And just because it's, I guess, I don't know, because of the monotony, I guess, I don't know. But if, if I'm not doing something like that, it, 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 because I'm so, that's how I'm used to falling asleep now, it would, I'm not sure if I could just like, you know, fall asleep at the snap of a finger, unless I'm really honestly that tired. But, you know, in a 24 hour period, think about it. You, you have 14 hours in the day to be able to drive no more than 11 hours in the day uh, total in that 14 hour period. And you have to take a 10 hour rest period in order to be able to reset to get a whole nother uh, 11 and 14 in the day. So that's your whole 24 hours. If you're team driving, it's the same thing. You've got one driver that's gonna be able to drive 10 to 11 hours in a 14 hour period while you're taking a sleeper, a sleeper berth or rest break for at least 10 hours before it becomes your turn. Wow. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, in some cases that, well, depending on how well people can sleep in a moving vehicle, that's probably gives them more hours to sleep than, than a lot of people take for themselves, especially if you don't have, you know, um, like a lot of hobbies that you can engage in when you're on the road, but not actively driving, then what else do you have to do, but sleep? I mean, are there, are there things that you're able to do other than driving or sleeping when you're on the road? Well, you know, it depends on how well uh, you can outfit your truck. I, I've known people, and I've done this a couple of times myself, I, you can have TVs in a, in a truck. If you've got a truck that's big enough, and if you look at your, most, your standard conventional truck in the United States, the sleeper berth is, well, I mean, it's not big, but it's enough to be able to stand up in. You've got a few shelves. You've got places to put your clothes and your food and a TV and so forth, so uh, when you're sitting at a truck stop or maybe when somebody else is driving, you have the opportunity to watch whatever you want while, the, while somebody else's control or you're stopped. Uh, I've known people to take their gaming systems along with them or hook up their computers to it and work on a couple other things. Uh, I've known people to take some of their hobby stuff like their, their remote control planes or cars or something like that because when, when they're 10 hours off, they don't have to spend it all in the sleeper. They have to have like a minimum of, of eight, but their 10-hour off-duty period you know, they have time to be able to do some personal things and, and, and be able to uh, participate, participate in some of their, their hobbies. Now, what if you want to do something like, um, I don't know, go for a jog or, I mean, I guess you're not really going to be doing like team sports, but stuff that involves, uh, you know, kind of like outdoor facilities. The, when you're stopping at a lot of the, the places that you stopped, do you, are there, I mean, do you have opportunities to do, to do that kind of stuff? Well, however a driver wants to take their 10 hours off uh, during their time off, they can. And, and they don't have to, it doesn't have to be just 10 hours. They don't have to move right after 10 hours. If they, if they get done with their day early, they can have 12 to 14 hours because, you know, in, in my particular job, most of the time I'm only on the road for nine hours, work a couple hours uh, of moving uh, the, uh, the product that I move. And then I've got you know, I've got 12 hours, so I've got time to be able to go for a walk, uh, maybe go get a meal with somebody, 
or even, you know, and in some cases where in my job, I have the opportunity to actually go home every day and then do it all over again. There, there is time to be able to do it. You don't have to take up all that available time doing driving. I've known people that drive over the road, uh, like my best friend who drives mostly the, the 48 contiguous states. He, he'll only drive maybe eight to nine hours a day. So he's got time when he gets to a he gets to a truck stop. He's got time to relax. He'll be able to do his laundry there, take a shower at the truck stop, do some walking around. He'll have his pet with him, you know, and, and take that time to be able to kind of decompress from being on the road. Yeah. I'd imagine that's, that's important for your brain, for your body. You know, I'm just thinking, um, sitting for that long is probably just, you know, my back is hurting thinking about that. So yeah, the idea of being able to take a walk, get some fresh air, clear your road or clear your mind, not look at a road for a little bit. It's probably kind of helpful all around. So good. Now you said, uh, you mentioned you, when you started, you didn't have a pet. So I would assume that means you do have a pet these days that you drive with. Is that the case? I, I do. I have, I have one, I have a dog that goes with me on occasion and, and that that's going to probably determine, you know, it's going to vary from company to company of how they have a pet policy. But I have, I have my dog, Bruno, that spends time with me in the truck. And, and me personally, that actually helps me calm down a little bit. Because if I get kind of uppity and I'm, I'm, I'm aggressive or I'm, I'm uh, get a little bit more road rage, my dog actually shivers. He gets afraid because he thinks I'm mad at him. So when I see him shivering over in the corner of the truck and I go, all right, dude, it's not you. It's me. Come over here. Gives me a chance to pet him. And then it gives me a chance to regroup and say, okay, I've got to calm down. So he calms down. I don't get to have my dog with me all the time, but it's, uh, it's great when I do. And, it, and to tell you the truth, sometimes, you know, dogs don't always respond in words. If you have something that you want to say, you could say things to your pet, you know, whatever. And all they want to do is just come over and get a good scratch behind the ears or, or whatever. And that's, that's what my dog is good for. And, and he's like the perfect size to be able to, he can jump in and out of the truck on his own. I don't have to lift him up. He's not big and bulky. He, uh, he's kind of, my dog's kind of perfect. He's, he's a, uh, I guess he's a border collie and hound. So he's, he's kind of low profile and skinny, totally opposite of me because I'm a tall, big fat guy. So <laughs> he doesn't take up much room when I take up the rest. Bruno sounds like the perfect co-pilot. So you, you are a lucky guy. Definitely. <laughs> um, can you tell me what, what are some of the surprises? Like, I mean, I know you've been obviously in this field for, for a long time, so maybe you don't necessarily remember what might've surprised you at the start, but if you do, what are some of the things that surprised you when you first started doing some of the driving? I think what surprises me is actually that what other truck drivers do. I mean, cause there's so many, there's so many different personalities out there and the people will find any way that they can try to break a rule and get away with it. But what really surprised me is truck stops. I, I thought, okay, as, as driving, you know, in a, in and out of a truck stop when I was a tow truck driver is nothing like when you're driving a truck. Um, I've learned that a lot of truck drivers uh, not myself and the people that I know, but a lot of truck drivers are very disgusting. They, they have very bad habits of leaving uh, garbage and their, their, uh, I don't know how to put this in a better term, their, uh, their body excrements <laughs> around. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, it's it. There's if you've traveled alongside of a highway recently or anywhere near a truck stop, or if you've been in a truck stop, it it smells disgusting. And what truck drivers, you know, when they're by themselves and they don't have to worry about anybody else but themselves, can be very selfish on uh, what they do, and they don't care if they block in another truck or something else like that. There's just, uh, I think, I think the industry itself, you know, versus what you used to be able to see was kind of glorified on movies sometimes is nothing like what it is now. You know, the when it comes to the industry where it's, you know, get the load there as quickly as you can by any means necessary, where drivers now will, they'll, they'll sometimes forego personal care just to be able to uh, get that load to the next destination. And because we're limited by how many hours we're able to work in a day, uh, people will push that to the limit and beyond the limits just to be able to make a couple extra bucks. And that's pretty interesting. It makes people do interesting things. Yeah. I wanted to ask, I mean, you know, I've definitely heard, um, so you, ha you have the limits, which are there for a reason to make sure you're not driving, you know, dangerously fatigued or something, but um, just kind of about general working conditions, how, how much control do you as a driver have over how reasonable your schedule is and, you know, how much you have to kind of push those limits? I think that really depends on the company or what part of the industry you're in. Um, luckily for my job, I can kind of make my own schedule because I, you know, I could talk to my dispatcher or my boss and I say, Hey, I want to run at a certain time and be home at a certain time. And they would make accommodations to be able to do so. Now that, that is a rare occasion for the industry. A lot of times when you accept a load or you're getting uh, you're getting dispatched by a driver manager from another company, they are at the utmost, like they'll, they'll give you and say, Hey, look, you know, I, I understand you're in Anaheim right now, but I need you to go to Sacramento yesterday to pick up a load that had to be delivered two days ago. And that's what it feels like. You, you're automatically on a stress ball that you, you're doing a job that seems to be unperformable. You know, so a lot of times, like, to be realistic, you know, you can be in L.A. area. You've got to go about 30 miles away to pick up a load. Then what will happen is, is now you're waiting to get loaded. And that's taking time away from being able to drive and from your 14 hour clock. And then once you finally get loaded and you have all your paperwork signed and you're ready to go, now you've, you can only go so far. So now you're going to try to maximize everything you possibly can to, for the rest of that day, and then push on the next day after you've taken a break. And that can put truck drivers in questionable predicaments when it comes to their, their hours of service or their trucks, they'll, they'll be, you know, sometimes, you know, their, their trucks could suffer uh, mechanically because they've, they've gone beyond the limits of what they should be doing. And, then, and, and that's just because there's so much pressure of how the industry needs to move. And since you're, you, you know, and a lot of times in the industry, you get paid by the job. You don't get paid by the hour. You don't get paid uh, by anything, usually either by a percentage of the load, what it makes, or by the mile. And so the faster you, you can go, the more money you more or less make because it takes less time to drive that mileage rate. And that's, that puts, you know, uh, that puts them in a position to where they might want to extend their break or extend their, their, the means of the, the speed limit, just so that way they can get their job done a little bit faster. So that way they can get to the next job. Mm -hmm. So the pressure's on to kind of cut corners where they can, even if that's not 
the best thing for them or for the truck or for the load or yeah, for, for the road. Interesting. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's why the, the, uh, the industry is, is managed as much as it is by the, uh, uh, by the government, you know, a truck driving on top of two other jobs is like, there's three jobs that are actually monitored and, and regulated by the federal government. And that's, that's airline pilots and traffic control office, uh, operators, train operators and truck drivers. They all have a certain amount of hours of service. They're allowed to work and they have to take a certain amount of breaks because they, there's so much involved and there's so many things that can go wrong and it puts other people uh, safety's in danger if they don't follow these rules. If I remember correctly, so the air traffic controllers, a lot of that control um, or sort of the federal oversight happened under the Reagan administration. Was there something kind of similar for trucking where like a major incident occurred that kind of made the government realize, oh, hey, we need to oversee this more closely or has it kind of just gradually built up to what it is today? Well, there's been subtle changes back and forth on hours of service uh, when it comes to truck driving. I'm not, I can't pinpoint it to like one major thing, like what happened with the air traffic control strike during the Reagan administration. I, I would have to say that it, what causes the government to get involved with more things going on with hours of service or what they're able to do is by the uptick on how many accidents there were, how many violations, mechanical violations at an inspection station there are, and how many logbook violations they have to where the, now we're every single truck driver out there that's doing anything but a local route has to be on electronic log device, ELDs, where you really, you can't, you really can't make any changes to a logbook now because everything's recorded digitally from your truck to the log device. If you are enjoying My Dilettante Life so far, that's great. I'd love it if you took a moment to share the podcast with your community of friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Podcasts don't exist in a vacuum, and this one depends on people like you to spread the word so more listeners can hear from some seriously cool guests. Remember, you can follow My Dilettante Life on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, as well as finding new episodes on the website at hannabinder.com slash mydilettantelife. That's H-A-N-A-B-I-N-D-E-R dot com slash my-dilettante-life. Thanks. Wow. So first we're talking at the very beginning about, you know, going through physicals to make sure your body's okay to do this. And now you've got basically not like a physical for the truck, but just a consistent monitoring. And I, I understand, I'm sure a lot of it probably is for the truck driver's benefit to make sure that you all aren't being kind of pushed beyond the bounds of like human uh, endurance or whatever. But I'd imagine it's also maybe a little tedious and makes things kind of complicated at times. Well, tedious and monotonous because you're doing a lot of the same thing all the time. So can I ask, what do you wish that people knew about your job? I know we talked about, um, you know, some of the annoyances of, of distracted driving, um, but what do you wish that people knew about your experience as a truck driver? Oh man, that's a, you know, and me personally, I just wish people would have a little bit more respect for what, what a truck driver has to do out there on the road for for the equipment that we have to, that we're in control of and sometimes the cargo and that we're human beings, no different than, than people out there on the road. You know, we sometimes a tow truck or a, a truck driver is a very thankless job 
you know, and it's, it's one thing to be able to have a sign that says, thanks truckers and, you know, and truck driving really during the pandemic here in the United States was one of the things that never shut down. Things had to still be moved. People still had to get their medications. People still had to get their store supplies, uh, their home supplies. And the only way that that moves is by being able to uh, move it by truck. And there, there were a few times that there was, there was definitely good appreciation that came to trucks that, you know, that they, they honored truck drivers, they honored what they do. But a lot of times when you're out there on the road, you know, a truck on the road in front of, you know, 10 other cars, that truck is more of a hindrance than anything. And it just, it becomes uh, taken for granted that we're, it, that we're out there, even though we're moving the products that you use every day, uh, any way, shape or form that, you know, even the car that you're driving in the house that you live in had to have a truck involved one way or the other by either bringing you materials or shipping the final product. Yeah, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I definitely have thought about, you know, especially if you're driving on some of these back roads where we live and there's a truck going 30 kilometers under the speed limit and I, I get annoyed, but then you're, what you're saying, I'm like, oh yes, that's true. It definitely, all the supply chain issues we've been having, um, I know you can see how integral trucking is and shipping is in general to making sure that we all get the the products that we need. I'm wondering, you know, we were talking about some misconceptions um, and you were, you know, you mentioned maybe some of the stereotypes people have about truck drivers. Um, and I, I guess that definitely plays into how people perceive trucking. Do you think that some of that appreciation that you've seen during the pandemic, has it changed how people think of truck drivers or have we kind of gone back to the same stereotypes that we may have had before the pandemic? I, I think it gone back to what it was. It's like, to me, it's kind of like the similar what happened with 9-11. You know, after 9-11 happened, everybody was patriotic and everybody was for their country and stuff like that. And then after a few years of a couple other changes, forget that something like that's happened. Well, the truck driving sometimes and the pandemic really didn't make much of a difference. Now that life is more or less back to normal where you can, there's no really not much in the, the line of restrictions after uh, the major part of the pandemic, everybody's moved on with their lives and they're back to doing what they normally do that, you know, truck drivers or trucks out there are just, you know, they're just another thing that's out there on the road that gets in the way. And there, and, you know, the, the true people that I know that I run into that actually really appreciate truck drivers are the people who are still involved with the industry or they have family members who are involved with the industry. But sometimes, you know, when you're, when you're out there commuting in the middle of, a, of, of downtown Oakland or LA or any major metropolitan city, and that truck's trying to get into a delivery and has to make a wide turn and can't turn because somebody else is, you know, in the way, and then you get backed up. Sometimes, people aren't looking at the fact that maybe there's another four wheeler or another, uh, another thing that happened that caused that truck not to be able to move properly. And then now somebody's mad at the truck. Now, to be fair, not all truck drivers are exactly some of the smartest people either. Uh, there's, there's plenty of things out there. I'm sure you've probably seen, you know, pictures of, you know, trucks being stuck under underpasses, uh, overpasses that, uh, that, uh, that damage trucks because, you know, what happens is somebody that's new to the industry or just doesn't pay attention or just lacks the funds to be able to get the proper GPS equipment uses the wrong GPS device and it takes them down a road that's not designed for a truck to go. And the next thing you know, 
now that truck is stuck and can't get where it needs to go to. And uh, then a lot of times that comes with lack of experience. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if a truck is stuck somewhere, then that can mean that supplies aren't getting to where they need to go. And it has, I'm assuming, kind of bigger ripple effects than just a couple people being or several cars being stuck in an intersection maybe for a while. Well, not to mention that if even if a truck is wrecked or something else like that, that's product that now has become a loss, you know, that now that somebody else has to refill that order. And with, with the way supply chains are, uh, chains are going nowadays, it's very difficult to keep up on orders. There, and people are ordering things, having delivered more often than ever. And, and now uh, you have higher demand for products to be, you know, with the, I guess with the ease of like Amazon and, and UPS being able to make home deliveries within the day you order something, that that becomes, uh, you know, that truck gets damaged underneath the bridge or it gets rolled over in an accident because it, you know, something happened. That's more product and more things out there that that drive the cost of everything up because uh, of, of loss and damage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I, one thing I do want to ask you, because I feel like in the news, you know, over the last couple of years, there's been more coverage of the idea of of self-driving trucks. Obviously, there's been a lot of, you know, work on self-driving cars and people have a lot of thoughts around that, how safe they are, you know, how to integrate them while the technology is still kind of being worked on. What do you think about, um, you know, doing that in the trucking industry specifically? Well, from what I understand when it comes to truck autonomy or even uh, cars with the autonomous features, it still requires a human being to be present and awake during operation. Now, it, it, there are a couple of vehicles out there that don't require um, human interaction that are in beta right now that I've seen in, in uh, San Francisco. But, uh, you know, when it comes to having to dock a truck, you still have to have a, a, a capable operator behind the wheel of that truck to be able to finish the destination once it goes. But I guess the forward part of the driving is the technology is getting better. But at the same time, in some of the uh, beta testing that I've seen out there, it's, it, it is on its way and still uh, integrating itself into the industry and even in your personal cars. But there has been a large number of accidents. I was actually just came across an article uh, headline the other day with uh, what truck autonomy over the last couple of years or in like one year, that there has been 400 accidents uh, caused by, you know, the, uh, the inability for the program not being able to see what it needed to do, or maybe just there was blind spots because they either didn't have enough cameras, multiple other things. Now, a computer can work very fast, but a computer is only as smart as the person who programs it. And that still leaves room for error. Same thing when it comes to cameras and autonomy, I, I still believe, or at least I feel that I, I'm more capable of doing it, that a human being can still process information faster than most computers when it comes to having to take evasive action from doing something if you're paying attention properly. Yeah, I mean, you're, you know, you're talking about um, people with lack of experience using the wrong GPS, but if it was a self-driving, you know, um, an autonomous truck and the wrong software was uploaded for navigation, you could still end up with the same result you know, even without a human, yeah, behind the wheel. So I can see how it wouldn't solve all problems. It definitely, 
it sounds like though the the role of drivers as the technology gets more advanced may change in that there's still a human element that's required, but how the human interacts with the truck will change. Is that what you kind of see happening? I think, yes, I think the human interaction with anything that's autonomous is going to change. There still needs to be, uh, in my opinion, there still needs to be a human presence in case something were to, to fail, that now the human is the fail safe instead of the computer being the fail safe. Uh, it seems to be, you know, it probably would be the other way around. I mean, the, when it comes to technology and autonomy in trucks, like even the truck that I drive actually has a crash mitigation system. It has a system where it has a camera and a radar on the front of the truck that helps to detect objects in front of me that are moving slower and or faster or stationary that will help my truck break uh, if I don't react to it fast enough, which in some cases, and I've seen this happen in our company, uh, maybe even the, slight, the slightest of inattentiveness would the truck would take over, apply the brakes and slow down before the driver could do so to take over and has actually done great help to avoid accidents. So I'm not saying that the technology is bad. I'm just saying there still has to be a human element involved, uh, even if there is going to be even a slightest bit of autonomy. Right. And well, and that totally makes sense that it's not necessarily all or nothing. It's not, it's completely autonomous and you have no human involvement or it's cars from like the 1980s with not even power steering. So it sounds like there's kind of multiple steps along the way that um, use, you know, the, hopefully the best features of technology to kind of augment your abilities as a human driver. And then maybe that balance will kind of start to or continue shifting so that the truck can kind of gradually take over more things as the technology improves, but still have that human controlling for unpredictability or things that are unexpected when they pop up. Yeah, automation is definitely the a future of all types of industries. Now, I, I work uh, in shipping containers. I move shipping containers a lot. And automation in the ports, and I know this in Long Beach is definitely one of the things that uh, works very well, that other than the truck drivers going in and out of the port and maybe the operators that take things right off of the ship onto other equipment, that more than 50% of the port is automated. It literally has like robot carts that are moving these 40-foot containers into another row to where another automated crane will pick it up off of that and take it into the uh, the import area that it gets delivered to the truck, where in a lot of times it, it takes very little human interaction to have to worry about it. And even the software of in-gating and out-gating a truck has now become more automated to where you don't literally have to talk to anybody. If everything has been entered by your dispatcher right or by you as the operator, if you're an owner operator and entered into their system right, a lot of the times that the, the tracking equipment that's on your truck in order to be able to go in and out of the port will automatically send you to the, the area that you have to go to receive uh, your load or empty or anything else like that in the, uh, in the system. Wow. That sounds so futuristic. That's so cool. Um, so given how much then the industry has changed and is changing, what would you tell someone who wants to go into the field nowadays? You know, if I had if I had to tell anybody that wanted to get in the field now, even for its current situation or even the potential future that it has, you still have to have 
you you still have to have it within yourself to be able to put up with long hours and still and do a job that is you the only thing that you're in control of is how your your truck moves but you're still in control of other people around the industry that you are at the mercy of either other other people doing their job that in in order for you to do your job well other people have to do their job well as well and it makes your life difficult and if you can do that then then you can do this kind of job but if you if you are are uh, if you don't have the stamina to be up for long hours and and long waits for uh, for loads or equipment or anything else like that, and if you get frustrated over the smallest things, then sometimes maybe this industry may not be uh, for you because it it does take. And I'm I'm not speaking for myself because I'm not a very patient person, but it does take a certain amount of patience to be able to. Uh, to have a longevity in this industry. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like that. You say it takes a lot of patience, but you yourself are not a patient person, but I'm guessing that you're selling yourself a little bit short since obviously you've, you've been able to work in this field. So I, I would imagine you need to have maybe patience in the right situation, even if it's not a situation that non truck drivers would encounter very often. Well, luckily for me, when it comes to certain situations, I've had friends that help me calm down or help control the situation because my hot head has almost gotten me kicked out of a, of a, a facility before to where it would make it very difficult to move on with the particular job and company I work for. So, but yes, the, and at the end, yes, cooler heads did prevail and there was a certain amount of patience that worked out. And, you know, I just like this particular instance, something that happened to my equipment that was damaged by somebody else by putting equipment on my truck and then they broke it and it caused me to be very upset and they didn't like it very much. And so, but luckily with the help of another friend of mine, actually my partner that does the podcast with me, uh, he was the one that, uh, that helped help control the situation. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, there's been times where I've been just the opposite. Somebody else got off the handle and so on and so forth. And I was the cooler head at the time. I, I can't say that that's happened all the time, but sometimes it takes that type of interaction to, to help out. Every, every interaction is not always the same for everybody. You know, there's, there's been things, you know, my truck's been wrecked by another person before by their inattentiveness uh, just because they, they were inattentive and they were really in a hurry to try to get something else done. And I'm the one that had to suffer for it. And it can be very aggravating. But yeah, it, you have to, in some cases, you have to be, uh, let's see, you have to be able to sit on a hot plate and pee ice water sometimes when it comes to this industry. <laughs> I mean, it definitely sounds like um, you've got a good group of folks who you can kind of depend on one another to help each other stay calm in those situations. But I, I would imagine if someone damaged the thing that is like vital for my livelihood, I would be pretty upset too. So, you know, I think uh, it's a very human understandable response to be pissed at someone who wrecks your, yeah, basically wrecks the tools you need for your job. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's another thing when it comes to the industry, as you, as the operator, and I mentioned this before, you have to be the one that takes care of it a lot. You're responsible for when the equipment fails to having it repaired properly or reporting that things that need to be fixed you're the run the responsible for making sure that it's got everything that it needs because you are, uh, you're, you, that is your livelihood. That piece of equipment is what 
helps you make a paycheck, whether you're an owner operator or you're a company driver, you, uh, you have to make sure that that equipment is going to be able to get the job done. And you're going to, you should be able to do everything it takes to know when it needs to be maintained and when it needs to be fixed and, and uh, when it's able to stay out there on the road for as long as it does. Yeah. Now this is kind of going a different direction. And I know um, we've talked about you, you have your podcast um, with your friend who is also in the industry, but what would you be doing if you weren't in kind of the trucking industry, but also sort of transportation related industry in general? If I wasn't behind the wheel of a vehicle, is that what you mean? Exactly. Well, I, I probably would have re, uh, reverted back to doing construction or warehouse work that I did before I started driving. Uh, bef- you know, when I got behind the wheel of a flatbed truck once um, that uh, I was working for a construction company. And for me, being behind the wheel of something just came naturally. You know, I, it, it was something that, you know, was able for me to be able to focus better on that. Uh, it was, you know, in my, in my opinion, driving sometimes is a craft. I mean, as a professional driver, you know, it's, it's what I do for a living, not much different than a race car driver. That is their craft. It is what have they, they've honed their body to be able to do. Now my body's large and round, but, but the rest of me uh, about me is, is all about driving now. And if I wasn't doing that, I would probably be working in a warehouse or, doing what started that got me there uh, was probably doing some kind of construction. Now, as for podcasting and, and doing stuff behind the microphone, I fell into stuff like that purely by accident. So if you, if you could choose like any career outside of being behind the wheel nowadays, would you, I mean, would you still go back into construction you think, or do you have like some, you know, out of left field career that you've always thought, huh, that sounds like it might be interesting. Well, I, I always said, I mean, I've also done mechanic work, um, as a tow truck driver and I, and do mechanic stuff on, I've done that on the side. I think if necessarily I can do that, but I mean, if I can get paid what I get paid as a truck driver and, and get paid the same for being behind the microphone as a radio personality or my podcast or, or DJ work, I would definitely do that because it is, it's really rewarding <laughs> when I, you know, when I get behind the microphone on the radio station or, or doing DJ work, um, I have found that it is really, really fun. And I think, I, I think I would love to be able to do that more often. And, and like I said before, I think before we started uh, the podcast is that uh, I do sports casting now for the local high school here. And that has been really fun. So I would love to, I'd love to be able to do that more. But since because I'm a truck driver and I'm so and I would say because I'm good enough at it that I'm I'm right now I'm very close to a million miles of safe driving uh, without an accident wow. or anything else like that, that uh, knock on wood. Yeah, well, well, I'm not a superstitious person either, so you can <laughs> knock on wood. for okay. me. I did it. You're, <laughs> you're all covered. You're welcome. <laughs> but as as good as I feel that I am and I'm trying to be as humble as I can, I'm, I, I think that I'm a very good driver. And I, and I don't probably wouldn't be behind the wheel for, of something for 25 years if I didn't think I, I was. Um, so that being said, I, I don't see myself doing anything else but driving. I planned retiring being a driver of one way, shape, or form. Now, until, you know, until I, I have a, a physical or a doctor says that I can't drive anymore and I need to go find something else to do, 
I would probably revert to radio or more stuff like that because it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. So you've got a Twilight career signed up, but in the meantime, I'm glad to know that um, that we do have a safe driver behind the wheel because, you know, I, I don't think it's it's humility needed when, like you said, you have almost a million miles of, of safe driving. That's an incredible record that most of us behind much smaller, you know, vehicles, we, we can't claim that. So uh, it sounds like you've definitely found yourself in a job that you have an aptitude for and, and that um, that's comforting to know that at least one guy on the road that I, you know, that's out there with a large and potentially dangerous load um, really can handle it so responsibly. So that's good to know. Now, what do you want to be asked about your career with driving? Well, I never really thought about that. Take, <laughs> I think take you've your time. Asked me, <laughs> I think you've asked me all kinds of questions that probably maybe take, um, I don't know, maybe take some of the stereotypes away of what, what we do as truck drivers, you know, and because I think you asked me before, you know, I, I would really love to be able to take away and, and, and have a little bit more appreciation for what we do. I, I'm, I'm not sure if I, you know, I've already kind of touched on that, but to think about what I want somebody to ask me, I don't know, because people ask me questions about my job all the time and I'm, I'm happy to answer them. You know, I, I think if anybody were to ask me anything, ask me about my job, ask me about what I do. I will be more than happy to tell you what it takes to do what I do. And, and if you wanted to be a part of it, I wouldn't steer you away. I would help you be a better driver if I could. Mm-hmm. So are you saying that maybe a new podcast in the future outlining how to be a, um, what I want to say, a more helpful four-wheeler driver on the road you could do like a series of courses the the best ways to help driver uh, truck drivers drive i don't know like have a less annoying experience on the road basically i don't know where i'm going with this but i feel like there's something well, there I, for you well actually i do already do something like that i for the local radio station i do here on occasion uh i record uh some psa stuff about uh, safe driving tips. Uh, any, cause I, I mean, I can drive, I have a license. I'm fully endorsed on my license. I can drive anything from a motorcycle to a semi. The only thing I can't do is drive a bus, but that only requires me to take another drive test because in order to, to, have, to drive a bus, you have to have a passenger endorsement that requires another drive test because there's special rules involved in that. But as for what I do for the PSA segment, uh, here for my radio station is I will talk about that kind of stuff. What it, what it takes to be able to drive around a truck and what it takes for a truck to drive around cars. And I will talk about the, the safety aspects of both. And so anything from two wheels to 18 wheels, uh, I will definitely go over misconceptions of the laws and, and more stuff like that. Like when it comes to merging, you know, here in the United States, you know, the, what some people really don't get sometimes is that, you know, when you're merging onto the highway and there's a truck, truck doesn't, a truck or even a car for that matter, doesn't have to move over and sometimes lacks the capacity or the capability of moving over to the left because in, in a lot of cases you can't see what's on the other side of that vehicle and so maybe that's one of my pet peeves i have is when somebody gets on the highway and they expect me to have to move to give them room but you forget that when you're merging onto a highway 
it's your responsibility to merge into traffic. It's not traffic merging into your speed. So it's your responsibility to come up to a safe speed. And if you can't do so, that you have to follow the shoulder and then fall in line in the traffic when you can. And some people forget that that's actually part of the law. I actually went over that with one of my PSA segments as well. And so there, there is definitely some opportunity for more education when it comes to once you get your license, it's not just, okay, I know what the laws are. There's definitely opportunities for truck drivers and other people in their four-wheelers alike to be able to learn more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I will definitely uh, do some self-education about ways that I can be um, a more courteous and, and safer driver because we do have a lot of trucks on the road here. And I'm sure, um, you know, obviously physics is physics in Europe is the same as it is in the U.S. Um, and I'm sure that there are definitely ways that I can uh, be less of a nuisance to them driving on the same roads. So thank you. Um, those are all my questions for today. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me. Uh, if you have any last words you want to add, um, that would be great, but I'll just mention once again, um, your podcast truckers with attitude that is available on SoundCloud. So if anyone listening wants to check that out, definitely please do. When I grow up, I want to be an adventurer. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of My Dilettante Life. I'm your host, Hannah Binder. The podcast theme music was composed by Anna Bradley, with sound editing assistance from Yuli Anerson. The podcast logo was designed by Ashley Burke, with help from model Ivy Bean. Thanks to our guests, and to all our listeners for tuning in. If you have follow-up questions for a guest, send them in for a chance to be featured on an upcoming Audience Asks segment. My Dilettante Life is available wherever you get your podcasts as well as directly at hannabinder.com slash mydilettantelife. That's H-A-N-A-B-I-N-D-E-R dot com slash my dash dilettante dash life. Tschüss!